0: Thank you for listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit our website, centurybaptist.org, or download the Century Baptist Church app. Man, what a great morning so far. I will do my best not to ruin it. Uh, thank you uh, so much to uh, to Anthony, to Amy, to Chris, uh, Krista for um, a compassion focus this morning. Um, uh, I wish that uh, I actually told Anthony, I said, I just would rather you just talk all morning. He's got incredible stories, powerful stories of the impact uh, that compassion has had on his life and, and his ability to be introduced to Jesus. Uh, I'll add a little bit to uh, to his story. Uh, I, where are you? Are you in here, Anthony? He sat through, he had to sit through my first message, so he probably didn't come back in. Uh, but just to let you know, because I know that he, he talked about the importance of of getting a letter from his sponsor and all those years of not, but I'll, the the good news is that uh, partway through his sponsorship it switched and he got a 16 year old girl sponsored him, and and she connected with him and even to the point where where the two of them got to actually meet, uh, and so uh, the the value of you communicating with with your child is a part of their discipleship process. So. Uh you can, you can go and you can sponsor a child, but I really want to encourage you as well to make contact with them on a regular basis. Our oldest compassion child that we had for, we can't we didn't even remember how long, he's uh, 22 now and graduated out of the program and, uh, and have had a chance to communicate uh, something kind of fierce after that. Uh, through texting and things like that, and uh, once they're out of the program, then they can communicate in that way, and we're just so proud of him and continually uh, have been telling him how much he's loved, how much God is caring for him and taking care of him, and that's a part of the discipleship process. So uh, also, it's a great way for you to disciple your own kids is that you bring somebody else into your family, and you get to talk about what's going on in their life, and you get to pray for them, and you can teach your kids as well about a little bit about sacrifice, right? It's $38 a month uh, to, uh, to sponsor a child. That is, when I was little, remember you'd see the, the thing on TV, for less than a cup of coffee a day, you can sponsor a child. I will tell you, for the price of a cup of coffee, $38 today, you can you can sponsor a, a child. Um, and, and But I think about that. Right now, if, if, just, if just two people go out to eat, it's, it's more than that. So you give up one meal uh, of going out to eat on purpose so that you can make a difference in the life of a, of a young person, uh, do it. And so uh, you can make sure you talk to Amy. If you have been sponsoring for a while and you're like, you know what, we actually would like to meet our child, you can talk to Amy as well, and she'll give you some information on how you can do that. And so I, I just want to, uh, I'm so I'm so excited to see what God continues to do being a part of Century Baptist Church as, as a family and the way in which we get to love our city, to be for people and to love our world. And this is just another way that we can be involved. And so, uh, so do it. If you don't, haven't sponsored a child yet, make sure that you stop and, and, and do it today. Uh, today, we're going to dig into Matthew 15 uh, just a few verses, verses 21 to 28, uh, and, and we're going to look at a passage that sometimes when people read it, they like I don't, I don't like that one, right? I, I don't know if uh, I don't that one, that one I don't understand, and so we kind of push that off to the side. I want to explain it to you today, and hopefully give you great joy to see this incredible Jesus that we follow. Uh, in talking about, I'm going to talk today about, about persistence. Doggedness is one of uh, the ways that one of the terms you can use for that, and you will see as we read through this passage uh, why I chose that as a title. But just to start out, I was reading a, a, a leadership magazine um, one time, and it was talking about uh, cattle ranchers in back in the, the good old days. And one of the things that they would do if they would get a, uh, a, a horse that was, that was um, unbroken was wild and bucking all the time and incredibly whatever disobedient I don't know can horses be disobedient uh, and and was too much for the rancher to handle what he would do is he would go out and he would get his a donkey or a burrow and he would tie the horse to that burrow and then just they would let them let him go and what what would happen is is that uh, that horse would still just be bucking and pulling on that rope and kind of take off, uh, you know, full speed running away and the donkey trying to keep up, a lot of times stumbling and kind of dragging behind and just kind of being thrown around and they would kind of disappear up over the hillside. But the rancher would be patient and he just knew because he said it works every time that they would just wait and, and it would take sometimes days and maybe even a week or so, but eventually up on the horizon would come a donkey and behind him pulling on a rope an exhausted horse uh, that that had finally surrendered to all of his kicking and his bucking and had uh, given himself over uh, to the donkey. Somewhere out there, right, on the rim of the world, the steed would become exhausted from trying to get rid of the burrow. And in that moment, that's when that animal would know to take mastery over the other one and become the leader. And that's the way it is with with the kingdom of God, that's the way it is with heroes, right? The battle goes to the determined, right? Not, not the outraged. The win goes to the one that, that patiently endures, persistently waits for things to change, and it goes to the committed, not to those who are just like a wild sound, just overly dramatic. Persistence, steadfastness faith. And enduring faith is what this text today is all about. This is what happens in Matthew chapter 15. We're walking through the life and the ministry of Jesus, and we were doing it so that we could know God's Word better, but also because we are called to be disciple-makers. And Jesus was the greatest disciple-maker, and He set the example. So we read His Word and His life to know who He was, because we're called to be imitators of Him, but also how He discipled to say that. Then I can do it too. This is what Matthew uh, writes. If you uh, are willing, able, I'll ask you to stand as I just read you this text. Uh, Jesus went away from there. So, there, we, as we've been talking about, was the region of Galilee that he lived and did most of his ministry. And he withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But Jesus didn't answer her a word. His disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, she's crying out after us. And Jesus answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, help me. And Jesus answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Father, as we we explore, uh, put this text under a bit of a microscope today, uh, our prayer is that you would, through it, show us who you are, uh, who your son Jesus is, that we would fall more in love with you, uh, more in love with the mission, and more in love with others, God. And so, this is your time to do whatever it is that you want. May my words just be your words, and the words that we hear be the words that you speak, God. In your name, amen. You could have a seat. So, let me just kind of help to understand w- why the location is important. It's re- usually, when you read Scripture, it's great that when, they, when it mentions a location that you go, I want to look into that. I want to know more. That's why you have the maps in the back of your Bible that you look at during the sermon, right? Uh, is 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 so that you can go and go, so why did it happen there? What was taking place? What we know about about Tyre and Sidon is about thirty miles north of where Jesus is typically doing his ministry. So it is a hike uh, to go up there. And so there's got to be a reason why he would go that far. Well, if you read, uh, the, uh, the parallel narrative in the book of Mark, as Mark tells us, he says why, and it says because Jesus had to get away to be alone, away from uh, the, the heat that was on him as we've been studying of the Pharisees that he keeps riling up because he's by his preaching and what he's doing and his claim of who he is, he's threatening their authority, he's embarrassing them, they need to get rid of him, they think that he's sacrilegious, and so they want him dead so to spare his own life because he, it wasn't his time to die yet. and he So he leaves and he goes up to this region a long way from Galilee, but he has this, in the midst of it, only this interaction that Matthew records and Mark records of the time with this, this moment with this uh, woman. Jesus was trying to stay hidden, but it was impossible. Uh, his fame had spread even to this region that is the, the northernmost part of the nation of Israel, but an incredibly pagan culture, mostly Gentile. Uh, and that's why Matthew makes it known that it is a Canaanite woman. He starts out with this, behold and behold, a Canaanite woman, because Matthew uses that term 62 times uh, in, in Scripture. Maybe something we should all pick up on, right? That we tell a story would be really great. Because if all of a sudden, in the middle of a story, you go, and behold, everybody's like, whoa, what does that mean? That's exactly why he said it. It means you're not going to believe this. Like, you got to listen to this. You have to hear what happens. So just that alone, a Canaanite woman, in other words, of a, a pagan, uh, not following God, uh, woman in that culture to come up and approach a man, it, everything about it is wrong. Uh, especially to the reader, Matthew is writing, remember, to, to Jewish readers. So when they read it, there's just a lot of gasps, right, that, that are going on as reading it. Like, what? What is she doing? And wh- why is she coming to him? And why did he go there? But he did. And he had an impact there. As as Matthew tells us that she was Canaanite, it's a reminder from, from Judges chapter 1. That is, God divided up the the, the nation of Israel to the 12 tribes, and he said, you're each going to get one. He gave the northernmost part to the tribe of Asher. And and what God said was, as you go into these areas that I'm giving you, you need to get rid of all of your enemies that are there. Because, the reason was, is because they worship false gods. They have... Uh, evil practices that they do. And God knew, and we read about it all through the Old Testament, that, that if you allow that to continue to happen, you will be influenced by it. And he said, you're going to be my people, and I am your one and only one true God, so you need to get rid of that influence. Well, what we find, it, Joshua tells us that, that when they went up uh, to the region of Tyre, they sa- said that it was a strong, fortified city. So they let it be, and what happened over time is exactly what God said would happen: that that they would be influenced by the, the pagan culture and false religions and worshiping Baal, and, and it spread, and so that region was known as really a, a Gentile, a pagan, not following God region. But Jesus, so what? What Jesus went because well, I can go there; nobody's going to know me up there, and he gets there and finds out that that's. That's not the case that here comes this woman uh, crying out to him. It's interesting that uh, the way that it's told in Matthew and in Mark, Matthew writes to the Jewish uh, audience and Mark writes to the Gentile audience, but they relatively tell the same story and you ask why well if you're a if you're a Jew, you read this passage about Jesus that Jesus went to and loved our enemies and if you're a a Gentile who's been told your whole life that that the God of the universe, the one true God, is not for you. You read, you read in Mark for yourself that there is a God in heaven that cares about me and that loves me. Jesus came for the world. God so loved the, the world. This woman comes crying that her daughter is oppressed by a demon. And and she it's in her plea that she makes an incredibly true statement that says that she believes so much more than Jesus is just a miracle worker. And it's in the way that she addresses him, O Lord, Son of David, which would make a a Jewish reading audience, and even probably the disciples, and even Jesus kind of go, wow, how way up here, in a land that that doesn't follow the one true God, they, they actually know up here that That when the Savior comes, He would come through the line of David. It was a promise that was given to God's people. And she acknowledges that. Oh Lord, Son of David, heal my daughter. I know you can do it because I know who you are. I believe actually in who you are. To the original reader, like I said, it would be a real wake-up call. Like, Wow, even, even someone who's not supposed to does believes fully. What about me? Because we know that that as we read through the New Testament, it was in Jesus' ministry that the actual people of God that Jesus was sent to rejected him. But the people that, that weren't even supposed to get him believed in who he was. And she addresses him as the Messiah. It's not just faith. It's not just, hey, I heard you're doing great things, I heard there's great miracles that are happening as you travel around Galilee. No, no. Her faith is built on a doctrine, on an actual faith in the truth of what the prophecies of God's Word had said about who Jesus would be, that that it would be through the nation of Israel that the world would be redeemed and would be saved, and through the line of David, she has a full belief that Jesus is the Redeemer of mankind. Hebrews 11, 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible for us to do what it is that God wants us to do. But whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. God says it starts with, Do you believe in who I am and that I can do what I say I can do? Not just a hope that, well, I hope that that you can can do this for me. No, I know you can because of who you are it starts with God's identity, and it's in that belief that won't allow her. She won't stop asking, she just keeps persisting. But heal, please. The first time Jesus doesn't even say a word. And then and then he has this little conversation with the disciples because they're upset. Like, would you just get we need to get rid of her? Like this is cause, she's causing a scene. She can attract an audience. Like, this is embarrassing. And then Jesus has this conversation with the disciples, and she comes and falls on her knees. Please, I know who you are. Heal. And even in, we'll get to this in a minute, even what would seem to be, what we read, it kind of as a bit of an insult that Jesus states. She embraces it and says, yeah, but, but I know you can do it, and I need it. So please, heal my daughter. She never gave up because she believed in who Jesus was. And she needed him. It's it's amazing, just to help us kind of apply this section to our lives. It's amazing what we do to achieve our dreams, right? Our our wants, right? I, I want whatever. I want that car. So I'm gonna I'm gonna budget it out, and I'm gonna get an extra job, and I'm gonna save up, and I'm gonna cut out pictures of that car, I'm gonna hang it all over my dream board or whatever you want to call it. And we're gonna we're gonna sacrifice, uh, uh, you know, as a family to make that happen because that is our dream. But when it comes to our wants from from Jesus, our actual needs that we so deeply desire, we're like, would you give me that? I'm not hearing anything. All right, I'm out. Right? We, we don't pursue passionately the one that we believe can actually give us the things that we need. Do we pray fervently? Because that's what God wants. He's like, I want, I want you to know that it comes from me and I just want a relationship with you. I want you to depend on me. I want you to cry out to me and I want to give you what it is that you need. How persistent are you in your relationship with God? It's not like God's waiting and, and like a like a... Like a parent sometimes where you, the kids just know, hey, if we ask enough, we're going to get what we want because they're just going to be like, oh, fine, right? How many times do we as parents just give in? God never gives in. He just wants to stretch our faith. He wants us to do, to, to beg upon him and then in the middle of it to learn things about who he is and do we really need these things and, and, and to have this understanding. Then when we receive it, he goes, that was all me. Jesus' response to the woman, uh, what we find in the way that he ministered is that he was was persistent, but he was steady on mission. That's what Jesus was focused on. The mission that God had sent him to this earth to do. Matthew says that Jesus didn't answer her, even with a word. He said nothing. There's a lot we could take from it. Maybe Jesus didn't hear. He heard. She's screaming out uh, to him. Maybe he was teaching his disciples something about this, like he often did. I believe he was allowing time to stretch this woman's faith. Does she really believe? Keep asking. Keep, because, because in it, the ones that he was going to leave the mission to were going to learn something through all of this. Jesus, it wasn't like he didn't like her, didn't love her. I, I don't want to help her today. But it was because he was also fully on mission and he needed to let everybody know know that in Mark chapter one, you, uh, Jesus was healing people around Galilee and into late into the night. And it said that he went to bed. He got up early in the morning because there was always crowds around and he went off by himself to pray. And, and then Peter comes and finds him like, what are you doing out here? So many people need more healing. You got to get back out there. They're all waiting. And what does Jesus say? He says, that's not why I came. He, He said, I came to preach, to tell people that the kingdom of heaven is here. So he said, so come on, let's go. We're going to go to the other villages to preach. Not that he didn't love people. He was just focused. And he had a limited time frame of what he had to do uh, in which he had to do his ministry. Jesus' non-response to the woman wasn't rude. But he was just continuing to, to walk into the mission that God had for him. There is something bigger at play in all of this. We also have to connect uh, with Jesus' non-response to how he did respond. The disciples come up to him like Jesus. Seriously, this woman, this is embarrassing. She shouldn't be uh, coming up and talking to you. Uh, we, you need to get rid of her. And there, most scholars say that the way that the disciples uh, begged Jesus was they didn't say get rid of her. They said, "Would you just heal her already? Just we we see you do it all the time. Just heal her, so she goes away." And so Jesus' next statement is not thought to be directly to her, but it's to his disciples to teach them, listen, I have come only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It might not seem like it, but this is a statement, huge statement that Jesus makes of his love and his care and his concern for God's people, for the nation of Israel. He's the true shepherd. And as we've been learning through the lives of the Pharisees, the way that they taught, as you read all the way through Scripture leading up to Jesus' life, we find the people of God had strayed so far away from the covenant that God had made with them. But yet in His mercy, in His grace, in His compassion, He sent His Son because He made the promise, I will rescue you. I will redeem you. You are my people. And in doing so, God fulfills his end of the covenant regardless of their obedience. That's God's amazing grace. But he made this promise in Genesis chapter 12 to Abram that God chose. Right? Was it wasn't because Abram was some amazing guy and doing great things and God's like, you know what? Uh, of all the people on earth, you're you're the one because of how great you are. No, it says that he just out of his own love, God chose Abram and he went to him and he made a covenant. And he said, I'm going to bless the entire world through you. Through, through the generations that come after you, through your offspring. It was this statement that there is going to come one who will redeem all of mankind. And it's going to come through you. It's the identity that Israel the people of Israel, lived into. God's going to do not only something great for us, but He's going to do something great through us. Peter, in his preaching in the temple in Acts chapter 3, he goes to Jerusalem, he's in Solomon's portico, and he preaches this amazing message, and he reminds the people of who they are, and he reminds them of the promise that God made to their forefather, Abraham. That that God said, and he tells the people, so remember when God said that he would raise up a prophet among you that would change everything. And And he says to the people, you are the sons of prophets and you are sons of the covenant and it's in your offspring that the world will be blessed. And God raised up this servant and sent him to you first. He blessed you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. It was this reminder, remember, God promised and He fulfilled it. In Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, God says, I will make you a light for all nations in order for my salvation to reach the ends of the earth. One day kings and princes will acknowledge me because the Holy One of Israel has chosen you. You see, it was, it was through, through Jesus' mission. God sent Jesus to His people to fulfill that promise. And then it was through Jesus' commission that the rest of the world would hear. But there was, a, there was uh, uh, the apple of God's eye, right? The people of Israel, God said, I'm going to do something great. And the greatest thing that He did for them was not a land that He gave them, but was the one that He sent to rescue them, to give them the opportunity. They rejected, right? The, they, they killed Him. God still, in His mercy and grace, said, I'm still going to use you. I'm, I'm going to keep fulfilling my end of the bargain. I'm going to do something great through you, and the world is going to be changed because of you. And so Jesus knows this. I'm here, not because he was trying to say, look, you people don't matter if you're not from our nation. What he's saying is, I'm here to change this nation, and then this nation is supposed to go out and change the world. Using my name, telling people about me, and introducing people to me. See, it was through that sacrificial system that God chose for his people, only the nation of Israel, that they would, that they would sacrifice an innocent lamb. That blood would be shed, and one day of the year that the high priest who represented the whole nation would go into the Holy of Holies, and he would sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat for the forgiveness of people for, for that year. But it was through the mission, Jesus staying on mission and going to the cross, sacrificing himself and giving up his life, that his blood was shed. And on that cross, he spoke the words, it is finished. And when it was finished, the temple curtain tore in two and God's presence is now available and a relationship is available to the entire world. But it took Jesus staying on mission for God's people to then in return, take that message out to the world. Now, the woman probably didn't hear Jesus say this, is what's understood. He turns to the disciples, They're like, you need a healer, get rid of her. He's like, look, I just came, I came, I'm on mission. I'm here for the lost people, the lost sheep of Israel. And she comes back and falls on her knees and says, Lord, help me. I need this, and I know you can do it. And then Jesus has this final address to her. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. We hear that and we go, oh, right? Like, th- I never knew Jesus was, would talk like this. You know, that he would call somebody this. Now, what we need uh, to understand, because uh, I'm not trying to offend, but I don't care, uh, you know, right? In this, we live in a sensitive day, right? Where anything that's like, oh, how dare he say that about me? Uh, but in in Jesus' day, Yes, it was, a, it was a derogatory term about the Gentiles. They would, they would, the Jews called them dogs. But, but it wasn't because it was they're low or they're awful. It was because we just, we just studied this for the last few weeks. It was because a dog doesn't care if something's clean or unclean. It just eats it. But that's why they were called dogs. It wasn't, it wasn't meant to be this horribly offensive term. It was, just, it, it was a little bit of we're better than you. Right? But but we care, we have to care because of who we are and the laws that God has for us. We have to care about what we eat, that clean or unclean. But we just talked about it last week. That Jesus said, that's not what makes you clean or unclean. in debunking all, all of this. So uh, let me take it a little bit deeper and help you understand that Jesus actually didn't say the word dogs. If you look at the original language, which is why it's so important, we, we, our translators have done the best they could to give us the inspired word of God, but it's why we study it deeper. But the term that Jesus uses that changes kind of everything, he doesn't use dogs, he uses puppies. And, and so what he's saying is, and we all know this, right? We, Jesus says, it's not right. He's just saying what he already had said. I have come to reach the lost people of Israel. And then the understanding is then the disciples would then take the message as, as God's chosen people would then take it out to the world because it's for everybody. Jesus just paints this picture a little bit different. He says, it's not right to take what is meant for the children, to cook it up, prepare it, and give it right to the dogs. There's a process. And Jesus knows the process just like you and I do, right? Right? If you're going to sit down and you're going to have a meal and you have people over, right, the first thing that you do, let's feed the kids, right? Feed the kids first. Because if we feed the kids, then we can, then we can do what we need to do. Also, uh, if you feed the kids, we all know this. If you have a dog and you have kids, you feed the kids, you're feeding the dog, right? It's because it's going to go, it's going to go from them and then when they're done, right, when they have it and they're full, then it just kind of, they just scatter around. And the way that people ate in ancient times was reclining around the table. So you prop your kids up, they'd be out there on the pillows as well. And the, the puppies were the ones that were allowed in the house. So they're climbing all over the place, right? And they just, Jesus knows, because that's just the way the culture was. Look, the puppies are going to eat because the kids are going to do it. And that's what Jesus is, the statement that he's making with his disciples, First, and he see, even to the woman, he's saying, first, I've come to give the nation of Israel what God has promised, a Redeemer and a Savior. And they're going to receive it, and they're going to be full, and they, in turn, are then going to be the ones that are going to give it to those that need it next. It wasn't really an insult at all. It was Jesus just going and giving a picture of the process. Mark, in his passage, in telling this story... Uh, clarif- clarifies it a little bit better, because Jesus says, "Let the children eat first, and then give to the dogs what they need." It was just this illustration of, let's just go and, and fulfill the mission that God has for all of us, to the Jews first, then to the Gentiles, as Paul says in Romans 1:16. What I love about it, I love about so much about Jesus is he stayed true uh, to the mission of doing what he's supposed to do, but even in the midst of it, was able to show care, concern, compassion, and love. For us today, we're called, we're commanded to go and make disciples. We're the ones that, are, that, are, that are, we're recipients of what, uh, of, the, of that which was prepared for God's people, and now because of what Christ did on the cross, it's for all of us. And now we take what we have, I'm full too, Like Anthony was sharing about his his mom, they had nothing, and, and they would barely be able to eat to survive, but the little that they got turned into something big in this pot, and she not only fed her family, but fed the neighborhood, and that's what we're called to do, to go and to make disciples. It's the mission that we're supposed to be on. It is the mission that God calls us to, and if it's not getting done, then what we have to ask is, what's my distraction? What's keeping me? from fulfilling the mission. Finally, just to close out, this woman is not broken by this. What she says is absolutely beautiful. She gets it. She says, I understand and I accept what it is that you say. That you're for Israel first and then uh, to the world. Uh, She said, so can can I just have some crumbs? It's a beautiful thing. She said, she said I, I understand it. I'm, I'm going to let the mission continue to be the mission. I'm going to let you do what you do. All I'm asking is that I believe in who you are as the Redeemer, and I think that if I could just have some crumbs of what you have to offer, that it would heal my daughter. That's how much I believe in you. Can I just have a little bit? You don't need to interrupt the meal. I'm just asking for scraps. What an incredible example of faith far more than those in Jesus' targeted audience that he was sent to, that rejected him. For us, for you today, whatever your need is, whatever it is that that you so deeply uh, have been crying out to God for, do not give up. He hears you. Scripture says that. He hears you. Just keep asking. God has a much bigger plan that he is working out In all of your needs and your desires, all He wants is for you to fully trust and depend on Him. And it'll come out of who He is. How many of us pray a prayer of great need in our own minds and we're convinced almost immediately that if it's not answered that we have to go into fix-it-myself mode? That's what God is... That's what He does in, in in the waiting... As we're waiting for Him to, to answer our prayers, He's stripping away us to get us to a point where we would, when it, when it is answered, that we acknowledge this could only come from God Himself. Stay fervent, because He cares and He loves. 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 just says, Never stop. Pray without ceasing. Full dependence on Christ. I can't do this without you. Just remember and realize what... I have to wake up every morning and, and, and tell myself uh, I'm not the center of the universe, right? God's up to something much bigger than me. That's why when we pray, we're supposed to pray, Father, your will be done. Whatever it is that you need to do in me and through me to fulfill your mission, I'm going to trust you. That's a full belief in who Jesus is that, that, that God will keep Keep doing what he does as we keep pressing on as well. Lamentations 322, the love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy will never come to an end. Believe it, live into it. I love that she doesn't argue with Jesus when he says it. You know, he just says, look, I've come for the lost sheep of Israel. It's not right for me to take what's good for the children and to give it to the dogs. And she goes, you're absolutely right. You are absolutely right because you're the Messiah, you're the Savior, you're the Lord. So I'm just asking that if there's just a little bit left over, could I have it? Because I think even just your crumbs can change my life. She didn't argue and say, "Well, if you're really the Messiah, shouldn't you care more? I mean, isn't God all about love and acceptance? Shouldn't He just... shouldn't He just do this for me?" She doesn't say that at all. She says, "You're right. You do you. You be. You stay on mission. But if I could be a part of that in any way, uh, I'll take it. Whatever you're willing." To give me, and she humbly submits to the truth, and she asks for help out of the truth of who Jesus is and out of his mission. And her daughter's healing illustrated the great truth that that the firstborn missed, that Israel missed, that that a relationship with God is a matter of faith through Jesus Christ. That we should be grateful for, that we should live in live into, and then follow on mission, even. In his focused mission that he had, Jesus found incredible room for love, care, and compassion for people in need, and he gave out of that, and he calls us to do the same. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for today. We thank you for, uh, thank you for this word, Father, that you've given to us uh, that, that we could not just read, but as we know your word is living and active, it's, it's within us, and God, we just ask, would you just move in us? Change us how we need to be changed. Help us to continue to see you for who you are. And then may we continue to follow through on the mission that you have given to us. What started on the other side of the world has expanded here in Bismarck, North Dakota. We have the opportunity today, God, as we leave this room to go out and, and to spread that gospel out to our city, but also even through, as we've talked about this morning, Through sponsoring of kids, we get to make a difference around the world. Help us to stay on mission because we believe in who you are, the hope of the world. Amen.